Off top. Lobsters get more fertile the older they get. So not only do lobstermen have to throw them back when they're under three inches in body length, but when they're over five inches so that they can reproduce. And I can even top that one. I am speaking to you from St. Joseph, Missouri, where the Chiefs have training camp. A long time ago, back in the day, before Andy Reid was coaching the Chiefs, before Andy Reid was even born, St. Joseph was a bigger city than Kansas City. And uh, the, the railroad came to St. Joseph way back in the day and said, we want to put the railroad through your town. And uh, St. Joseph said, no, we're, we're, we're the big city on this part of Missouri. We're going to uh, put our, we don't need you. And so the railroad said to Kansas City, hey, we're going to, uh, we want to come through your town. And Kansas City said, sure, we're going to, we'd love to have you. So Kansas City became the big city. St. Joseph is a small town. And so if, if, if the railroad had gone through St. Joseph, they would be the St. Joseph Chiefs, and we would be in Kansas <laughs> City right now for training camp. Play the music. <laughs> this is the Dominique Foxworth Show. All right, so I'm on vacation right now, but you know I wouldn't leave you guys with nothing to listen to, so I recorded a bunch of interviews with NFL Nation reporters, not all of them, just uh, about nine of them that teams I found pretty interesting, so you guys will have something to listen to. So I put them in groups right now. You're going to be listening to Adam Teicher with the Chiefs. He's going to be joined by Tim McManus from the Eagles and... At the end, we're going to have the 49ers with Nicholas Wagoner. I love that. Both of those were outstanding. So um, we are joined today by uh, Chiefs uh, NFL Nation reporter Adam Teicher and Tim McManus, the NFL Nation reporter for the Eagles. Uh, Tim, you're definitely from Rhode Island. Like, I, I know you said you're from Philly, but you gave me a lobster fact, which really, I mean, that that feels like New England chatter to me. Well, you know what? I just got back from a family vacation up in Maine, and we took one of those uh, nature cruises, you know, where they take you by the seals and they, they tell you all about, like, the, uh, you know, what goes on locally. And they threw right. that fact at me. So you I said he it. wanted a fact, and that was that was no, top of mind. I, that's perfect because that's what I end up doing is like something random that I've read throughout the week or something that's gone on. And the same thing with Adam It's just like I happened to, when I was in Miami. It was like you know what, only American city to be founded by a woman. And you you in the city, you bring us some knowledge from the city. But anyway, I have you guys both here today, joined with my man Charlie, uh, because you guys are the big dogs. Like mm -hmm. this is, and I appreciate that you don't even shy away from it, especially you, Adam. You came in competitive off the top. You you uh, went after his fact and gave a better fact, or at least what you thought was a better fact, but you two teams, your two teams are the teams to beat in both of the conferences. But let's start with the Super Bowl. What's changed? I'll start with the Eagles there, Tim. What's changed from your team uh, excuse me, which, what has your team changed from, hopefully they figured out how to deal with motion. Please, yeah. <laughs> Please figure out how to deal with <laughs> in motion. Other than that, how's this team changed since then? Well, that's a, that's a sore subject. And it goes <laughs> back to one of the changes, which is uh, defensive coordinator, Jonathan Gannon. And a word came out that he was actually kind of, uh, you know, flirting with the Cardinals during the, the lead up to the Super Bowl, which got the Eagles pretty ticked off. And of course, people in Philadelphia wondering whether, that had anything to do with the fact that they couldn't prevent that same motion play 
that led to two touchdowns in that Super Bowl, obviously a critical part of it. So the defensive coordinator's gone. Sean Desai, the the uh, the, the uh, former Chicago Bears DC, uh, is is in his stead now, and they also lost Shane Steichen, their offensive coordinator, along with five defensive starters. So almost half of the defense, brand new in Philadelphia. Uh, that motion, we talked about it from Philly's standpoint. Um, was there any talk of that particular play? I guess it wasn't one play, it was a series of plays. Yeah. Was there any talk of that in Kansas City afterwards? No, not a whole lot. I mean, they were going to run that play until the Eagles stopped them, and, and obviously they <laughs> never did. So, uh, um, but, um, so no, not really. I mean, uh, it was uh, it was part of what they did to win that game. And, uh, you know, obviously if the Eagles had done a little better job, maybe we'd be having a different conversation today. And the Chiefs know that. What is, so coming into last season, I think it was probably the, the Chiefs rebuilding year, if you could say such a thing. So they are better off this year than they were last year, I, I would say, especially with the experience that they've gotten on the defensive end. The question that I have for you, Adam, is, Who's the question mark player or position group coming into this season? Because it's normally you feel like, well, if this pans out, if this player turns into what we expect, or if this guy can step up, then things will be different. Or uh, So I guess I'm trying to figure out where the pressure is for the Chiefs because it's not on Well, Patrick. I think it's wide receiver, and there's already bad news on that front with Kadarius Toney being injured. You know, it, right. he, he didn't even make it to the practice field. The, the, the Chiefs uh, – have a, a drill where they always start practice. It's a pre-practice drill that most of the players aren't even on the field. They send the re- kick returners out to, to do a little early work before practice gets going. So this was going on before their first training camp practice on Sunday and Canarius Tony, Tony hurts his knee running a kickback. So um, he's gone and that the, the guy they were counting on for their number one receiver is out for the indefinitely. I mean, the Chiefs are hoping he'll be back for the season opener. But I think that's a stretch right now with what I know about his situation. So the Chiefs have a lot of, other other than Tony, uh, the the Chiefs have a lot of number two, number three type receivers. I'm wondering who's going to step up, kind of fill this void while he's gone. Do they have that guy? Uh, You know, the Chiefs have spent some resources on wide receiver other than last year's trade for Tony. They drafted Sky Moore in the second round last year. They drafted Rasheed Rice in the second round this year. They signed Marquez Valdez-Scantling as a free agent last year, but uh, I, I just don't know that they have a number one guy, at least not right now. So interesting to see how all that settles out. Right. Tim, I wanted to bring it back to you and ask a similar question, but it's a harder question for you to answer because there are no holes in the Eagles roster. Somehow they manage to get deeper and better every year. But are there question marks around like the age of the cornerbacks or are there some other questions? I guess I shouldn't assume that there are no holes in the roster. You know better than me. Where's the where's the um, position that is going to be under the most pressure for this team this year? A lot of Eagles personnel high on John Ross coming out of college, by the way, Dominique. So, <laughs> so you're not alone there, man. There was, yeah, there's a lot of people that were high on him. As far as the Eagles, I mean, you look to the defensive side of the ball and they lost both of their starting safeties and both of their starting linebackers. So that's where the primary uh, focus is at, on people watching in camp as to who's going to emerge in those spots. And, you know, one player who's primed for a much bigger role is N'Kobe Dean, who, of course, was. You know, the leader and the heartbeat of that dominant Georgia defense back in 21, but really couldn't carve out a significant role on defense in his rookie year. And now he steps into the middle. He's going to be the Mike. He's going to be the guy with the, you know, the green dot on his helmet, which means that he's the primary communicator between the coaching staff and the, and the guys that are on the field. 
So that's a big one. And they also lost, you know, CJ Gardner Johnson ends up signing with the Detroit Lions. Two brand new safeties are going to be back there. And so they need to figure out how all that shakes out to make sure that the, uh, you know, the defense keeps pace with the offense. All right, I have the same question again for both of you, and I'll go back to you, Adam, and start with you. But I, I really want to know who the Chiefs view as their primary rivals. Or, rival's the wrong word. Their primary competition in the AFC. Well, I'll go back to your original question, rival. Um, I, you know, I, I think they have a healthy respect for a lot of teams. Buffalo, some of the teams in their division, the Chargers, even though the Chiefs have uh, had the upper hand in that particular rivalry. Chargers play them tough all the time, and, and the, those games often come down to one or two games. But the, the team the Chiefs really don't like is the Bengals. They feel like the Bengals have done a lot of talking. Um, you know, they did beat the Chiefs at one point three straight times. Uh, all those games right. have come down to the end. Uh, uh, both of the AFC Championship games the last two years have been settled in overtime. So uh, there, there's some bad blood between the, the Chiefs and Bengals. And when Orlando Brown leaves Kansas City, goes to Cincinnati – didn't sit real well in the Kansas City locker room. So uh, that's the team that the Chiefs really get excited for is Cincinnati. And unfortunately, we're going to have to wait till almost the last week of the season. I think it's uh, week 16, if I'm not mistaken, where those two teams play their regular season game. Tim, I know the Cowboys are the biggest rival for the Eagles, but is that the same answer to the the team they see as the biggest challenge in the NFC? I would say that there's two in the NFC. One of them is the Cowboys. You got that natural rivalry that's been going on for decades there. And then there's there's a new rivalry brewing, and and that's the answer to the you know, the second part would be San Francisco. And you know, people in Philadelphia have been hearing nothing but people on the San Francisco side whine ever since the championship game about you know the way that that went, and if only the quarterback thing got knocked out, and they need to change the rules because it was so unfair that the you know that there was a quarterback deficiency in that game, you know, forgetting the fact that, you know, the Eagles knocked Brock Purdy out of that game. Um, and so there is, uh, you know, there's been some bad blood and some, some trash talking, I think, back and forth from both sides. And it's the, it's the Niners and the Cowboys, as far as Philly's concerned as to, you know, to who the other two top dogs are in the NFC. I know both of these teams are Super Bowl or bust this year. Uh, I mean, they assume that they're going to be championship contenders. And the Chiefs have already won a Super Bowl, won two Super Bowls under Mahomes. And they've kind of, they've already gotten the Mahomes MVP. I wonder how important chasing those personal goals, I suspect that no one is going to outright say it for the Eagles. But they have to want to get Jalen a MVP, right? That's that That'll solidify him as one of the top tier quarterbacks because he feels like he's one of the guys who isn't quite in that tier even though his play suggests he should be yeah he took that massive jump last year and if he didn't get hurt you know if if not for that ankle I mean he may in the shoulder injury he may have uh he he may have very well gotten that MVP instead of Patrick Mahomes and I think that he was you know he was toe for toe step for step stride for stride with Mahomes in that in that Super Bowl and they feel like there's another you know level to Hertz's game when I asked Sirianni about that coach Nick Sirianni Earlier in the offseason, he said that he's seen another jump from Hertz in his game, even though he's coming off that really strong year. And that's in terms of his decision making and his accuracy. And he's the other guy that Sirianni was really pumping up was AJ Brown. He's like, this guy just keeps getting better and better and better. And I think <laughs> that the the belief is is that now that they have even more familiarity in Sirianni's offense, now that they're more comfortable and they know each other, and even though Hertz and Brown are our best friends. You know, they just started playing together in this capacity last year. Uh, so they think that there's another level. And yeah, uh, 
people fully believe in that building that that Hertz is capable of, of MVP play and uh, maybe even more than we saw last year. I'm, hold on one second, Charlie. I just wanted to apologize to Tim for saying that he was from New England because your voice is so Philly. I know. I <laughs> it's, like, it's, just, like, it's just so Philadelphia. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, yeah, yeah, just a stint in Rhode Island when I went to school there. And as I as I told you before uh, the show, yeah. I, I used to deliver calzones to Lamar Odom back in the day. So <laughs> that was amazing that's, that's my claim to fame up in up in URI. But yeah, all all Philly beyond it's that. Definitely calzones. Wink, wink. Um, <laughs> that's what they but, called it. Uh, no, so I do think it's fascinating. Jalen Hurts obviously had the lowest volume passing in the fourth in the fourth quarter of any quarterback in the NFL. Threw the ball sixty times in the fourth quarter all season. Um, statistically, there has to be a volume jump for Hertz as a passer in both of those receivers um, this season. Who do they view as their number one receiver? Because Devontae Smith is also sort of em- emerging still. I would agree with that. And it's, you know, I guess they would probably describe it as a one and one A. Uh, last year, you know, truth be told, it was it was Brown. But, but Devontae, man, it just seems like he continues to escalate in terms of what he can do. And I think that He's going to be showing what his ceiling is here pretty soon if he has one. Like he's, I think he's ready to to take off. And to your point, um, I do believe that there's going to be an increase, especially in the, the latter stages of games with Hertz throwing the ball. And part of that is because you know he, I don't think it's sustainable for him to run as much as he has been without it having damaging effects. We've already seen him with the high ankle sprain. He had he had one in college. Both of them required surgery. Uh, he, had, in fact, had uh, off-season ankle surgery this off-season to take out hardware uh, from an, an ankle injury that he ha- suffered when he was at Alabama. And, of course, he had the shoulder injury, which uh, hampered him during the postseason run. And if you look back to, you know, since he got in the, into the league in a starting capacity, like nobody except for Josh Allen has been hit more uh, among quarterbacks in the NFL. And so that's going to take its toll at some point. And, and yeah, I think that, you know, obviously the, the confidence is growing uh, with him as a passer, and I think that he's going to have to lean on his arm more than his legs to make sure that he stays upright and that and that he's healthy when it comes to those critical games in the postseason. Adam, is Chris Jones going to get what he wants? Uh, the Chiefs better get it done. I mean, I, I you know I I think everybody wanted him would feel better if he was right. here in camp and and this thing had gotten done by now. But when is a real deadline? What at what point? Do these sides have to get something done or it starts to compromise his regular season, his effectiveness when the season does start? So uh, I don't know when that deadline is, but um, I, I think everybody would feel better if something got done sooner rather than later. So, uh, well, you know, certainly it's something we're following here, but uh, hard to picture the Chiefs succeeding defensively, whatever, however you might right. define that, without Chris Jones. He's been such a big part of what they do. All right. I appreciate you guys both for showing up. Um, Charlie, if you had any more questions, you all good? Uh, I, before you guys leave, best Andy Reid and best Sirianni story. Those are two of the f- most fun coaches. Good way to end on a, on a positive note. Who, who's got the first one? I feel like we, we no, we got to go Adam first so that yeah. you can come in over the top, Tim, like he did you on your fact. Exactly. <laughs> I, I tell you what, um, let me let me think about it for a second, guys. Uh, that that's okay, not one I was uh, I was sort of waiting on. So uh, Tim, why don't you go ahead and I'll uh, I'll try to give you I'll try to think of an Andy Reid story. Yeah, well, here's the, here's the one that stands out with with Andy Reid about just how uh, detail oriented he is. Um, when we would be on the sidelines, um, there would be like if there was a sweatshirt down, if somebody 
um, had like walked up onto a, onto a stairwell that he deemed was like inappropriate for media to be on. And he was like 500 yards down <laughs> there on the field. He would spot it and he would get his guy Dom to make sure that he would walk over and be like, yeah, see that sweatshirt on the ground, get it <laughs> off. And this is in the, the middle of like a, a two a day at Lehigh training camp in the middle of a practice, like such a hawk eyed uh, person like I've never like I've never seen. That's what sticks out to, to about Andy. To me. Sirianni have the same level of uh, attention to detail, or is he's? I mean, I remember him from the Super Bowl when Jalen Hurts is trying to tell him to like reel it in. He doesn't strike me as the same type of uh, personality as Andy Reid. No, he's different. Yeah, he's he surprised the heck out of me because I I didn't realize you know how animated he was going to be when he when he first walked in. And so the I, it kind of you know startled people on the sidelines seeing how much he's yelling at people and screaming oh, yeah. at his players like when he first got to camp. Um, he's an intense Yeah, not guy. not the same the same detail as far as on the sides, but uh, yeah, he's he's got some. Uh, you know, he, he's definitely got some of that in him. All right, Adam, you got a a training camp story, Andy Reid story, I've something. I've got an Andy Reid story, but I, I got to tell oh, you, yes. Tim, I I know exactly what you're talking about with him and his uh, Andy and his attention to. Uh, detail at practice it, 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 at in kansas city the media stands against a with its back against a, a fence um at the edge of the practice field and he doesn't want you leaning on that fence i don't i never asked him why he really cares one way or another he wants <laughs> you standing up <laughs> and watching practice not leaning against the fence or anything like that and he, I, I swear his back is to us the whole practice but he knows exactly who's been leaning against that fence and who hasn't the whole practice. I, it's like he's got eyes in the back of his head. But my, my story That's is that perfect. I thought of was, I, I, I did a story for ESPN uh, a year or so ago about why guys like to play for Andy Reid and, and you know this grandfatherly guy. What's the attraction? that Why do players love to play for Andy Reid? And, and I got a, a number of reasons. Everything from um, he puts you in good uh, places there to succeed to he treats you like a person but a lot of guys loved the way he loves food and it's that's not an act with Andy Reid that's a real <laughs> thing when you hear him start talking about cheeseburgers and pizza and all that stuff that's a real thing I had one player tell me that he, he would go to Andy he was new to Kansas City he would go to Andy and say hey give me some restaurant recommendations. He says, Andy Reid was always undefeated with his restaurant recommendations. And it wouldn't <laughs> be, amazing. and it wouldn't be just go to this restaurant. It's, it's go at this particular, go to this particular restaurant at, at five 30 or, or six 30 or whatever it might be, oh, because that's when they're that's really the on detail. their game. He knew when these restaurants <laughs> were on their game and when they were, okay. when they were struggling a little bit. So uh, his oh, scouting God. report on, uh, on food and restaurants is, is legit. I can back that up. In fact, uh, that's how Howie Roseman got in Andy Reid's good graces. He's told that story before is is through food. Like he knew that that Reid was a big foodie and Roseman considered himself a big foodie. So he would knock on the door, you know, when he was an intern trying to make his way up, uh, you know, and present him with, you know, whether it's, you know, a fine burger or, oh, you know, restaurant recommendations. So the uh, the key. The key to read is through the stomach. I appreciate you guys. I, I I'm that. now kicking myself that I asked you any football questions. Like, I feel like we should have spent all our time asking Andy Reid stories because it sounds like more fun. But we'll do this again sometime. Thank you guys so much for doing this. All right, guys. Thanks for having Absolutely. us. Absolutely. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors. I do. You do. We all do. 
big, small. And when we keep them bottled up, as I sometimes have had happen in the past, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. It's helpful for learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself. It isn't just for those who have experienced major trauma. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash df today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp.com slash df. Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is Hypnotic and Tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur. Barnstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Hi, it's Mike Greenberg letting you know ESPN Bet is ready to take you through all the biggest sports moments this spring. The official sportsbook of ESPN has exclusive offers and markets from Scott Van Pelt, Stephen A. Smith, and me, plus many more. From the playoff intensity to finally getting out to the ballpark, there's no better time for sports fans. Sign up today. New users get a bet reset up to $1,000 in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Download ESPN Bet today. What a play. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. See app for details. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there's no competition. Right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Go to jetspizza.com to learn more and find a location near you. Again, try Jets' signature eight-corner pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's the number eight, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza. Better because it has to be. All right, I'd like to welcome in Nicholas Wagoner. Congratulations, happy anniversary. 20th year. <laughs> it's your 20th year covering NFL training camp, so you got to give me one one crazy story or one proudest moment, something about training camp. You've been around it for long enough that you got to have something. Boy, I have to I have to really think back here because there's been a lot of them. Well, I will say, so when I first started doing this, it's been so long that I covered the Rams uh, back in St. Louis and they used to go to Macomb, uh, Illinois, which is Western Illinois University in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I just remember it was my first training camp. This was 2004. And there wasn't a whole lot to do in Macomb, Illinois, as you might imagine. <laughs> and uh, everyone everyone showed up there, and they all brought DVD players. Yeah, DVD players were still a thing then. Yep. And uh, TVs and all that stuff. And I was like, man, I really underestimated what I need to do here. Um, and so I, I was like down in the lobby, like trying to figure out like how I can entertain myself. And I ran into Steven Jackson, who was a rookie that year also, running back from the Rams. And we were talking and he was like, yeah, I'm going to Walmart. I forgot to bring a TV. So uh, that was 
uh, he had the ability to do that. I, on then basically an intern salary, did not have the money to do that. So I had to find other ways to entertain myself. I don't know if that's a great story, uh, but no. that was that was like my introduction to like, oh, these guys are not, you know, what's the People Magazine thing? Like stars, they're just like us. No. It's the opposite of the opposite of that. This is this is the reality. He was not a fun person to tackle. And I imagine that <laughs> seeing him standing in the uh, in the hotel lobby is like, like he, he looked like a defensive end. And I mean, he ran oh, yeah. quite physically. I remember those days, not a good time. So you just brought back some sad <laughs> memories uh, for me getting my Sorry arm. Sorry to get you off all the yeah, wrong Getting my there. arm tied up in, in that locomotive that is, uh, Steven Jackson, great football player. All right, so let's go on to uh, the teams you're covering now. You're the NFL Nation reporter for the San Francisco 49ers. And this is such an unusual situation. You need a quarterback <laughs> to win a Super Bowl. This is the only team that is perennially, perennially considered a legitimate Super Bowl contender. But also their quarterback is like, eh, 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 I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I know Purdy had a good run last year, but I think yep. a lot of that attribution goes to the surrounding cast and the coach. What do you think? Yeah, no, I, it is. It, it seems like every year since I've been here, at least every year since Kyle Shanahan's been here, there has been some sort of quarterback. You can call it a controversy. You can call it a quandary. You can call it whatever you want, but there's been something every year. Whether it's, you know, the first year, the whole plan was when they got here, they're going to sign Brian Hoyer, they're going to draft C.J. Beathard, they're going to get through that first year, take their lumps, and then they're going to sign Kirk Cousins. It was that it was it was one of those things that was so obvious they didn't even deny it. You know, it was like it was it was so obvious. And then they traded for Jimmy Garoppolo and it changed the entire dynamic because he happened to come in. He played pretty well. He won five games and all from those five games, they made him the highest paid player in the NFL. And every year since then, there's always been something, whether it's Tom Brady rumors, whether it's Aaron Rodgers rumors, whether it's Jimmy Garoppolo coming back from an injury or Jimmy Garoppolo coming back from another injury or, you know, <laughs> drafting Trey Lance. There's been all of these things. And the way I put it is every year, really almost for three decades now, the 49ers have been searching to try to win that sixth Super Bowl trophy. And co like coinciding with that, they've been searching for a franchise quarterback, really since Steve Young. And they haven't been able to find that. And they, I think their belief is, is that if they can find one, then they can find the other. But to your point, they seem to be kind of turning the thinking on its head, which is if they don't have a Patrick Mahomes or a Joe Burrow or a Josh Allen or Jalen or whoever you want to consider the, those, you know, four or five elite quarterbacks, can they build up a good enough roster around somebody who can just function within the confines of Kyle Shanahan's offense well enough, not make mistakes and really not blow it. That's the big thing is not blow it. Uh, then they have a chance to win a Super Bowl. And it is challenging kind of the normal thinking of what it takes to win a Super Bowl. But I also kind of understand it yeah. because it's hard to find Patrick Mahomes. <laughs> yeah, you that, can't find those guys anywhere. They're, they they aren't growing on trees. So what is the ceiling you think that they believe for Purdy? Is Kirk Cousins like the ceiling that they believe uh, he has? Or is, is it higher? Because they talk about it, and that's coach speak also. But you hear sure. the quotes coming out there is like they make it seem like he he's the second coming, like he could be one of those guys. They really do believe in Brock Purdy, and I, it's funny because I don't think people want to believe that they believe in Brock Purdy. <laughs> yeah, I'm one of those because people. Because it is, it is a small sample size. Yeah. I get it. It's eight games. Heck, they made Jimmy G the highest paid player in the league off of three less games than Brock Purdy, so <laughs> if Purdy was due for an extension, who knows what he would have got uh, this year. But 
I think that I think their big thing is the one thing that I know for sure that they love about Purdy is that he gets the ball where it's supposed to be and he gets it there on time. He's decisive and he gets rid of the ball. And that's really what Kyle Shanahan wants in this offense. And he has built up that skill position group around Brock Purdy, where it really is just kind of a point guard distribution type of a situation and letting those guys make yards after the catch, which has been a staple of the Shanahan offense since he got here. I think in in his six plus years now, they've led the league to, you know, cumulatively in yards after catch between George Kittle and Debo Samuel. Brandon Ayuk is is coming up now and probably the next generation of of those top receivers. Christian McCaffrey now they've added to the mix. So I, I don't necessarily think, yeah, I don't think it's going much beyond what Kirk Cousins is. Right. I think it is take care of the ball, make some plays off schedule, which was, I think, maybe something that caught them by surprise a little bit last year, to be honest, is his ability to kind of spin away from pressure and make plays down the field. But, you know, his numbers, I think the numbers they're always going to look at, obviously turnovers, that's true for everybody, but, you know, yards per attempt. What are, what are those numbers where he is, it's not about the quantity of attempts, it's the quality of those things. If he can be in that, 8.4, 8.6, something like that, um, or better, then they're going to feel like their offense is is operating efficiently. We always talk about Kyle Shanahan in the offense, in the quarterbacks, in Christian McCaffrey, in the receivers, and well, back when the O line was really good, them too, but they are they're not quite as good as they as they yep. once were, but. <sighs> The real staple around here has been how dominant that defense has been through a number of coach changes, and yep. they've just had another one. How confident uh, are you and are the people around there that Steve Wilkes is going to be able to continue? And also then there's the Nick Bosa contract situation. So, yeah, speak to both of those questions for me if you don't mind. Yeah, sure, absolutely. And I think I think one of the things that maybe gets underrated about Kyle Shanahan is, is how much he knows about defense. And I wrote a story about this a long time ago. I think it was maybe his first year uh, on the job. And, you know, Kyle Shanahan, his first coaching job in the NFL was a young assistant, low-level assistant in Tampa. Um, and that was back when it was the Monty Kiffin days. And and that's coaching staff. It was, you know, it was Rod Marinelli. It was uh, Mike Tomlin. It was, uh, uh, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I don't think Herm was there. It was, there was, it was, a, it was a bunch of, you know, big name defensive coaches. And, Kyle Shanahan, every night that he worked there, he was his main job for Gruden was basically to draw up plays for the offense for the next day's practice. He's quality control, right? Right. But what he would do was he would sneak into the defensive meetings every night with Monty Kiffin. Eventually, Kiffin just said, hey, come on in here. And he would take copious notes. He would ask questions. He would be very involved in those things. And he learned a lot about defense. And he was doing it through the eyes of an offensive coach. So in his mind, it was, oh, if I know all their tricks, I can figure out how to counter those things, right? Uh, but but I think what it did was it also gave him a much better, a much deeper understanding of what he's looking for in his defensive coaches and defensive coordinators. And so he found Robert Sala, and obviously Sala has gone on to, to bigger things. D'Amico Ryan's, you know, it was always well known that D'Amico Ryan's was going to be the guy when Sala left. Like there was a succession plan in place. This time there wasn't necessarily that. There's a young coach on the staff named Daniel Bullocks who is a safeties coach now, and I think he's probably the next in line, but maybe wasn't right ready for this. So when they went out looking for a defensive coordinator this offseason, it was, we'd love to get a guy who's experienced, but maybe we can put a little wrinkle into this. And the wrinkle being that Steve Wilkes is the first defensive coordinator that Kyle Shanahan has hired who has a history working with defensive backs. Um, it's been Sala and Ryans who are both linebacker guys, and they see the game in a different way. And that's not a bad thing by any means, but maybe this is a way that they could bolster their defense to another level because, look, they're going to dump money and draft picks in the defensive line. We know that. And they have a very good defensive line coach, and they have very good linebackers. 
But what's the way to take that defense to another level is to get more out of that secondary. And so I think that was part of the thinking there. Hey, Steve Welch, you don't have to reinvent the wheel here, but feel free to bring some wrinkles. You know, he's a little bit more aggressive. He likes to blitz more than D'Amico Ryans and Robert Sala. And that's not to say they're going to they're going to go away from just rushing four and, and, and playing and playing that way. But I do think there's going to be some more wrinkles. They're going to be a little bit more aggressive. So I don't think anybody's super concerned. They, you know, and they went out and got him Javon Hargrave. Uh, for the defensive line, so that you know that group is, is locked and loaded to be really good again. And then as for the Bosa thing, it's funny because you know we were talking about Stephen Jackson earlier. I remember back in the days when you get long holdouts and, and things like that. Um, and I know that that position in particular has has become a hot button here lately. But with Bosa, the Niners just don't seem concerned, and I don't think anybody's really concerned. It, you know, it has been one of the least acrimonious, you know, quote unquote holdouts, which I guess it officially is now. Um, just because the 49ers have a history of getting those guys done. George Kittle, Fred Warner, Debo Samuel last year, which was probably the most acrimonious of those, but it did eventually get done. And it got done right before they went to padded practices, which is, you know, not really a deadline, but the Niners kind of use it as an unofficial benchmark of when they like to get things done. So to my knowledge, I don't think there's going to be, you know, I think it's it's just tough because he's going to be the highest paid defensive player in the league. It's just by how much. And that's kind of what they're trying to figure out right now. Okay. So this is a weird way to end the conversation, but I just can't let go of Trey Lance. Like, is there any hope? Like, I remember when they made yeah. all the trades to draft him and all of us outsiders were like, this is going to be crazy. An athlete yeah. who can also throw the deep ball in the Kyle Shanahan system. It seems like whatever they've seen in practice, because the injuries aren't enough normally for a yep. coaching staff to move off of a player that they've given up so much for and a player with so much talent. So is there any hope or has he just been that disappointing in practice and games and everything? I think there's hope, but I think the way to phrase this is, is that he's almost starting from scratch. And what I mean by that is, is, you know, he suffered. Let me take you back to his rookie year. And in that first training camp, it was him and Jimmy Garoppolo. And they were saying Garoppolo is going to start. We're going to give Trey time. We're going to do all those things. But the first two weeks of that camp, Trey Lance was lights out. And you didn't have to be an expert who watches training camp all the time to know that. Like, Trey Lance was really good to the point where, if you remember, the Niners started talking about, oh, we got to get packages in for Trey Lance. We got to put things in so that he can get snapped. Part of that was they wanted to get him experience, but part of it was because he was playing really well in camp. And then he broke his finger. He broke his right index finger in the preseason game. I believe it was against the Raiders. Maybe it was the Chargers. One of, one of those teams. And he... Just he, he tried to recover without having surgery and it affected his mechanics to the point where he had to change his throwing motion so that he couldn't finish with his right index finger. He was using his middle finger and there was a trickle down effect that affected his entire body where his feet were now out of whack. He was just trying to he was basically just trying to get through it, essentially. And that carried over into the offseason. If you remember reading reports and hearing stories about him having arm fatigue. It was attributed to that finger injury. So there was all of these things that happened. And then going into last year, when he was the starter, he had been anointed. He didn't have to have a competition or any of that. He was still kind of refiguring things out. And he was unlearning the the habits that he had taught himself just to get through his rookie season. And then he was trying to learn the things that got him where he was getting the ball out quick and he could be decisive and have the same velocity, all those types of things. And then he got hurt again. And so what, that's why I say, because the weird thing to me, if you're really looking at it is, is okay, you can, you can make the case Brock Purdy has earned the job based on the eight games. Fine. I don't, you know, I may or may not disagree with, with that, but that's fine. But now he's competing for the second job. 
It's not even like, oh, he's definitely number two. It's he's competing with Sam Darnold for this second job. So that to me is kind of the real interesting thing here where the real quarterback competition in this camp, if Purdy is back as they expect, is who's going to be the backup quarterback, which has mattered. It has mattered a lot here (laughs) over the last few years. It it matters who the third quarterback is. Hell, last year we mattered who the fourth quarterback was if we want to go that far. So that's that's what I mean where, like, unfortunately for Trey Lance, it does feel like he's kind of starting from scratch, but – I will say one thing I think I think he you can tell that the the release is a little quicker, it's a little tighter, it's more compact. He, you know, I think he's gotten his point his mechanics back to where they want him. So I think he's in a good spot. And the other thing is is it doesn't hurt him to have a little competition because I thought that brought the best out of him when Jimmy Garoppolo was ahead of him as a rookie, and now he's gonna have that again this year. So I won't say all hope is lost, especially with the way things go around here yeah. at quarterback. It wouldn't be a surprise if he's playing again. But um I also do think it's realistic to say you know, it, he they, he's not untouchable. You know, he could be had in a trade if there's an injury somewhere, but the 49ers are not going to just give him away. He is more valuable to them because of all that stuff I just referred to with all the injuries than he would be some sixth-round picker, a conditional picker, or whatever from some team. All right, well, that's encouraging. So I, I hope to talk to you again later in the season. I'm sure your team will be in the mix, so I appreciate you making time for us, and I'm rooting for Trey Lance. I don't know how I, – I, it feels like then yeah. I have to root against Purdy, which I'm not rooting against Purdy, but I just hate <laughs> to hear a uh, career. Maybe it's somewhere else, or maybe yeah. they find a way to use him, but you hate to hear uh, a promising talent like that have career go the way that it, it, it has. But um, Yeah, you would just like to see him at least get the chance to either do it or not do it, right? But, I mean, you gave me some hope because I just assumed that for for a team to kind of like move on from a player like that, given how much they gave up, I just assumed that he must have been terrible in practice. But I, I like that you've created a narrative that I can grab onto and root for <laughs> Trey Lance to figure this shit out. I sure hope so. Well, yeah. And then again, I do. I think a lot of it was that he wasn't very good, but I think there were reasons for it. Right. And that's, I think what they've come to understand. And so, yeah, he's got, he's got to, he's got to climb the hill again here, but um, there does at least seem to be optimism that he's got the goods to do it. All right. Well, that is Nick Wagoner, the NFL nation reporter for the San Francisco 49ers. I appreciate you, sir. Talk again soon. You got to take care. All right. That was fun. And entertaining, but I'll be back next week, fresh off of a vacation, which isn't really a vacation. Any dads know this family vacation is not a vacation for dads. It's a trip. I took a trip. My wife and kids, they went on vacation. I took a trip. Happy to be back with you guys. Bye. This is the Dominique Foxworth Show.